think that conversation around reparations uh, does get very complicated. And I know that there are a lot of people that advocate for that. Uh, but beyond that, I have to ask you, what's complicated uh, about would it? We be, where would you be today without slavery? That's a great question. That's what we call one of those counterfactual hypotheticals, right? It's hard for me to tell you where I'd be without slavery because our entire history was interrupted by it. But uh, black people or African people, more importantly, had empires. We had civilizations. We had governments. We had uh, order. We had laws. Were we perfect? No, no, no society, no civilization is perfect. But the question where would we be without slavery would imply or suggest to people that somehow we are we have benefited from the enterprise of slavery or that somehow in the aftermath of slavery we're better off than we otherwise would have been. And there's absolutely no evidence to believe that African people were better after interacting with enslavers, after interacting with the European colonists. There's no evidence of that. So I don't know where we'd be without slavery, but I, I'm certainly sure it's better than where we would otherwise be. Yeah, see, and I, I would counter that personally with what we see on the, uh, the continent of Africa today. I mean, honestly, you, you talked about some people having, Where? you know, some of the kingdoms and being on the hierarchy in Africa and different countries in Africa, and sure, but those weren't the people that were being sold into slavery. See, so it's like, it's, it's so hard hold on, hold to understand. On. But, but, exactly but Kim, Kim where, 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 in, where in Africa, I, I want you to be a little more specific, where in Africa can we point to and see any kind of problem, any kind of disruption that hasn't been touched or interrupted by your Europe. You're kidding, right? Okay, so my so my, so my family is from both Name a country Nigeria that hasn't been You're saying Nigeria and Cameroon haven't been affected by Europe? That's your argument? There's many countries in Africa that did not have uh, Europeans colonize it. And they're still down today. Look at the Congo, for one thing. We don't talk enough about the Congo and what they're dealing with, especially when it comes to China and everybody that is going into their do, country do, do, to abstract cobalt and lithium and all these things that we want here in America to make us feel good with electric vehicles. So if we want to go down that road, we can go down that road, okay? But at the same time, not every country was uh, invaded by Europeans that then uh, put col uh, colonization on their culture and their people. That what did not happen everywhere. But I can tell you right now in Cameroon, uh, are, you have a situation where you have people running. We have tribes in Cameroon right now that are trying to run from the military, run from the government, and is black on black in Cameroon. This is what's happening across Africa. I'm not saying you being a slave uh, from a family of slave uh, slavery is great. I'm not saying it for myself either. But you can't sit here and say that your life would have been better uh, without slavery because we just don't know. We can look back onto the continent of Africa today and we can say that there are a lot of places where people are leaving seeking refuge to come here in America because this is okay. the land of opportunity. Kim Classic is stuck on stupid. Apparently, Kim Classic has never heard of the Berlin Conference of 1884 and 1885, where 14 European nations carved up Africa into colonies. Okay, Kim Classic is stuck on stupid. Apparently, she's never heard of the Berlin Conference. And if we look at this article here, uh, and we do we do all this in in my um, in my classes, we get deep into this uh, information. Uh, this is from thought.co.com, the Berlin Conference to Divide Africa, the colonization of the continent by European powers. 
you have 14 European nations uh, that met in Berlin, Germany to carve up Africa in colonies. The Berlin quote, the, the Berlin conference was Africa doing in more ways than one. The colonial powers superimposed their domains on the African continent. By independence returned to Africa in 1950, the realm had acquired a legacy of political fragmentation that could neither be eliminated nor made to operate satisfactorily, end quote. So the purpose of the Berlin Conference, it was at the Portugal, German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck called together major Western powers of the world to negotiate questions and end confusion over the control of Africa. The only, the only, there was only two countries that weren't colonized uh, during this colonial period, Ethiopia and it, Italy tried to invade Ethiopia actually twice because at the battle of Adawa, March 1896, the Ethiopians defeat uh, Ethiopia, uh, 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 the uh, Haile Selassie, uh, I mean, sorry, no, um, um, uh, uh, Menelik II, Emperor Menelik II, 1896. They defeat the Ethiopians, beat the hell out of the Italians. They defeat the Italians. They beat the Italians so badly that the Italians lied to the rest of the world and told the rest of the world that the Ethiopians were white because they didn't want the world to know that they got they got their behinds kicked by African black Africans okay um if you look at blackpass.org battle of Adawa and I, I I can't I don't have time to make this a long history lesson um but uh if we look at uh blackpass.org uh look at this entry here for uh the Battle of Ottawa, March 1st, 1896. A second here. Uh, okay, let's look at this quickly here. Because then I have to get out of here. Okay, let's flip over to this. Battle of Ottawa. Now you see different spellings. It may be A-D-W-A or A-D-O-W-A. Battle of Ottawa, 1896. This is from blackpass.org. All right. Uh, in March 1896, Ethiopian forces under the leadership of Emperor Menelik II surprised the world by defeating an Italian army sent to Empire. Okay, now uh, read all of this. Okay, but they kicked they, they kicked the Italians behind. Now, at the end of the article, they talk about how. Let's see. Uh, um, Ethiopian victory secured independence until Italian dictator Benito Mussolini attempted uh, again attempted to conquer the nation when he invaded in 1935. Okay, and this is leading up to World War II. Uh, initially resisted the Italians alone, except with the help of anti-fascist volunteers from the United States and other nations. Uh, uh, the battle battle was subscribe. Hold on, where is this the part I'm looking for? Oh, right here. Okay. Victory at Ottawa sealed the unification of Ethiopia and solidified and solidified Emperor Menelik II's claim to the title of emperor. 
Europeans and European Americans interpreted the, interpreted the story of Adawa in different ways. For some, it was an opportunity to discredit Italy militarily. Others, it was important to advance the view that the Ethiopians were not black. For others, it was important to advance the view that the Ethiopians black, thus explaining away the significance of white and European defeat. The Italians told the rest of the world that the that, that the um, uh, Ethiopians were not black. They said they were white. They didn't want the rest of the world to know that they got their behinds kicked by these black Africans. But at the same time, the other European nations didn't want to give other African nations ideas. Oh, we can overthrow our white oppressors also. So when you have somebody like Kim Classic, who doesn't understand that there was only two, two African nations that were not colonized, Ethiopia and Liberia. Liberia was created in 1821, right around 1821, by the American Colonization Society. It was created by the U.S. government. All the rest of the African nations were colonized, okay? And law, and most of that colonization is the result of the Berlin Conference of 1884 and 1885 that took place in Berlin, Germany. 14 European nations are there. No representation for Africa was there. 1884, at the request of Portugal, German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck called together the major Western powers of the world to negotiate questions and end confusion over the control of Africa. Because Europeans have been killing each other for hundreds of years over uh, different territories in Africa and the natural resources. So they came together, basically said, look, we don't have to keep killing ourselves over this, over Africa. Africa is large enough for us to, for us to carve it up into colonies and continue to rape it without having to kill each other. German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck appreciated the opportunity to expand Germany's sphere of influence over Africa and hoped to force Germany's rivals to struggle one another for territory. Okay, now Kim Classic mentioned the Congo. Apparently, Kim Classic has never heard of King Leopold II, who killed millions. The Congo was colonized by Belgium. And King Leopold II killed millions of Africans in the Congo. But let's continue, though. Uh, at the time of the Berlin Conference in 1884, 80% of Africa remained under traditional and local control. What only resulted was a hodgepodge of geometric boundaries that divided Africa into 50 irregular countries. This new map of the continent of Africa, these 50, these geograph geometric boundaries created by these Europeans was superimposed over 1,000 indigenous African cultures and regions of Africa. The new countries lacked rhyme or reason and divided coherent groups of African people and merged together disparate groups who really did not get along. 
what we see in Africa today is largely a legacy of the colonialism. Even though you did have the uh, African liberation movements and the revolutions starting with Ghana in 1957, and you know it continues with different Africans, most of them still have ties and are still controlled to various extents by their former colonizers. Now, this map right here shows you African colonization after the Berlin Conference, and it shows you the areas of Africa, the, the colonies, the, the areas that each European nation gets. Okay. And of the 14 nations that were there, the France, Germany, Great Britain, and, and Portugal were the major players in the conference. Controlling most of colonial Africa at the time. Now, um, Great Britain is uh, uh, in the orange. Orange. Look at look, look at what Great Britain gets. They get South Africa. They get uh, uh, Namibia. They get uh, uh, Kenya, Nigeria. They get Egypt. Eat the. Um, Get uh, uh, Nigeria. Let's see, Nigeria. Uh, it's a, a number of different countries that um, uh, Great Britain gets. Okay, uh, we see France gets uh, countries like Senegal, things, things of this nature. Okay, read the rest of this here. Read the rest of this article. Uh, we see con uh, the Congo. Uh, Congo goes to Belgium. Neutrality part of the Congo Basin became. Uh, a personal kingdom of Belgium kings Leopold II under his rule over half of the region's population died okay Leopold II who's a mass murderer if we look look at let me see what I, I know I have something on Leopold here uh on this second here black statue black um Belgium. Okay. So she mentioned, Kim Classic mentioned uh, the Congo, but she didn't mention Leopold. Leopold II, Belgium wakes up to its bloodiest colonial past, June 13, 2020. Here's a statue of Leopold. Leopold II ruled Belgium from 1865 to 19 Activists want this statue in Brussels removed due to his brutal regime in uh, Congo Free State. Okay. Uh, all right. Read the. Let's see. Leopold II's rule in what is now Democratic Republic of Congo was so bloody it was eventually condemned by other European colonialists. Uh, in 1908, but it, it but it has taken far longer to come under scrutiny at home in Belgium. Last week, thousands in the country of 11 million joined joined solidarity protests about the killing of of a U.S. black man named George Floyd in police custody. A renewed global focus on racism is highlighting a violent colonial history that generated riches for Belgians, but death for Congolese. 
Now, Deborah Kayembe is a Congolese human rights lawyer who has lived in Belgium. She said, everyone is waking up from a sleep. It's a reckoning with the past. Okay, read the rest of this here. This deals with King Leopold II, colonized Congo, killed millions of Congolese. All right, look, if you like, if you learn anything from today's show, especially dealing with history, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, and also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This show does not come, come together without financial resources. So we definitely uh, need your support. We definitely appreciate your support. It takes uh, a lot to produce this show. Keep the African History Network running, pay the bills, pay for the services that I use, like in which I'm broadcasting through right now that lets me broadcast on uh, multiple platforms and 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 um, archive this information. Uh, Dollar HN show through Cash App, right on the homepage of our website. We have a Cash App and a PayPal information where you scroll down uh, below our classes, below uh, the information on the online classes that I teach. And also register for my uh, class on Saturdays, Ancient Kemet, Egypt the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school if you missed the class we just did this past saturday as soon as you register uh it's archived you can watch it we do the sessions live all the sessions are archived and recorded you can go back and watch the time even after the uh course is over with this content is pg-13 you can use it with your children uh, we go through and look at history chronologically, deal with thousands of years of history, what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We also deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who take the teaching from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, into Europe, and this brings Europe out of the Dark Ages, okay? Uh, so register for that. Uh, lastly, this this uh, article that uh, I forgot to show you, I pulled it up here. This is from the Washington Post. This deals with how uh, this deals with skills that African people had before we even came to America or before we were put into slavery. This is by Jillian Brockell, staff writer at the Washington Post. Note to Florida and DeSantis enslaved Africans were already skilled. This is what I've been saying. Now, this is uh, uh, a picture of Benin's Benin bronze statues, African masterpieces. Benin bronze statues were stolen and ended up in British and American museums, okay? And uh, we just look here at a, a section here of the article. Here are simple historical facts. Africans already were skilled before they were, in, and in many cases, enslavers sought and purchased people coming from specific African societies on uh, skills common in those societies, which is, this is absolutely true as well. Decades research, slave ship manifests, plantation ledgers, newspapers, letters, journals, and archaeological digs, dozens of scholars support this. Much of it is compiled in the 2022 book, African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Freedom, by Pulitzer Prize-winning historian David Hackett uh, Fisher. Transatlantic slavery was an economic model proposing that skilled laborers 
who were benefiting themselves and their communities be abducted, transported, and forced those skills to benefit others. Other skills such as literacy, ministry, and music making were often banned because they did not benefit and even threatened the enslaver. Hackett Fisher explains, historian Hackett Fisher in his book explains how in the mid-1700s, enslaving colonists in the low country of the Carolinas, Georgia and Florida, targeted people from the windward coast of West Africa where rice had been cultivated for thousands of years. In the low country, enslaved people then flex systems of canals, levees, floodgates, and field, just as they had in West Africa, providing the region with its first massive cash crop. In New England, the Puritans targeted a con-speaking people from the Gold Coast of West Africa, uh, who had who who had a long, long military tradition emphasizing and quick thinking. Also, an enslaved man named Onesimus taught Puritan uh, leader Cotton Mather a technique for smallpox for inoculation, which was common in his African homeland. Okay, now we deal with this in, in my classes that I teach, okay? Uh, Onesimus is the one who taught the Puritans how to inoculate themselves uh, from uh, smallpox. There's an article from history.com, official website of the History Channel that deals with this. We, we built, we came from sophisticated civilizations, okay? We didn't have to be into an apprenticeship program. This is why this nonsense coming from Dr. William Allen and Dr. Francis Presley Rice uh, with the social studies standards out of Florida is stupid. History.com, how an enslaved African man in Boston helped save generations from smallpox. In the early 1700s, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. That was Onesimus, or I think it's Onesimus. He shared a revolutionary way to prevent smallpox. Okay, now this is from April 8th, 2021. Um, if you just scroll down here, let's see. Uh, okay. okay. But the smallpox epidemic of 1721 was different than any that came before it as sickness swept through the city, killing hundreds in a time before modern medical treatment or a robust understanding of infectious disease an enslaved african man known as onesimus suggested a potential way to keep people from getting sick intrigued by onesimus idea a brave doctor and an outspoken minister undertook a bold experiment to try to stop smallpox in its tracks okay small uh okay let's see here smallpox uh the first slave In, in 1706, an enslaved West African man was purchased uh, for uh, for the prominent Puritan minister Cotton. Okay, the prominent Puritan minister, minister Cotton Mather by his congregation. Cotton Mather gave, gave him the name Onesimus after 
an enslaved uh, after an enslaved man in the Bible whose name meant useful, useful. Puritan minister Cotton Mather, who powerful figure in the Salem in Salem witch trials, believed that owner of enslaved people had a duty to convert enslaved people to Christianity. How nice of him. We could say that's mighty white of you, but okay, whatever. Um, he, 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 so he, that owners of enslaved people had a duty, had a duty to convict, to convert and people to Christianity and educate them. But like other white men in his area, he also looked down on what he called the devilish rights of Africans and worried that enslaved people might openly rebel. He, he was right to worry that we may uh, take up arms against our oppressors. He was right to be a little worried that we were kidnapped and enslaved and may not, not like it. Um, okay, read the rest of this article here. But this deals with Onesimus and how this African man saved all these white people. How an enslaved African man in Boston helped save generations from smallpox.com official website of the history channel okay now let's go back to this from jillian brockell very quickly then i have to get out of here all right um chesapeake enslavers wanted people like the crew people kru specifically for their skill for boat building though old europeans were sadistances slave traders marveled at the superiority uh and and slave traders marveled at the superior stability and speed of west african canoes some of which they said could hold a hundred these boat designs were idea for fishing freight and ferrying up and down the chesapeake the chesapeake bay and later in texas enslavers wanted a subset of enslaved people in South Carolina descended from the Fulani, the Fulani, because they were already skilled herders, okay, the cattle, okay, herding cattle. The term boy likely originates from this South Carolina group. There's evidence uh, the African tradition of seeing herd at night influenced what became cowboy songs according to hackett fisher now the term cowboy originally the term cowboy was a derogatory term that white men used for african-american cattlemen cow hands because white men were called cow hands or cattle men african-american men were called cowboys as a derogatory term for them okay as we as, as you have the westward migration in this country, especially after slavery ends, westward migration uh, going to the 1870s, things like this, 1870s, 1880s, you have uh, the westward expansion. Uh, you have, uh, um, the, uh, go, go, you go to 1849, the gold rush in California, 1849, California becomes a state in the union in 1850. Okay, so all that period of time. And you have just like 1879, the black exodus of 18. 1979, we have 16 African Americans migrating from Louisiana says, out west to Kansas. This, this is an example of this. So, cowboy was a derogatory term originally used against African Americans, but 
over time it became a general term and in a lot of these cowboy movies historic african-american cowboys got depicted as white people who would have who would have saw that coming the term cowboy back to this article the term cowboy likely originates from this south carolina group okay uh there's evidence the african tradition of singing to a herd at night influenced what became known as cowboy songs and to hackett fisher the number of enslavers who decided voluntarily to free and ensure a skilled livelihood for the people they formerly enslaved is actually small, such that some living descendants of enslaved people freed under these conditions have noted higher wealth and education levels in their families than in others, okay? As for being a blacksmith, the example that Governor Ron DeSantis cited as a skill to provide personal benefit, Africans all, all over the continent already knew how to forge iron and other metals with skill before slavery. This is what I was talking about because we were already blacksmiths. We mastered metallurgy. We took those skills into Europe. These are the skills the African Moors are taking into Europe in 711 and subsequent years. We have to be kidnapped to be put into an apprenticeship program. Quote, that that's why masterpieces like the Benin bronze, the Benin bronzes were later stolen and ended up in British and American museums. Governor Ron DeSantis, who has a history degree from Yale University, who knows better than this BS that he's out here uh trying to substantiate and defend. Governor Ron DeSantis office did not immediately respond to a request for comment on criticism and refutations of florida's new guidelines or the factual basis for his blacksmith statement but the story of the enslaved metal worker philip reed who played a major role in casting the bronze uh quote state of freedom end quote that stands atop the u.s capitol dome provides a telling example Okay, Philip Reed was already a skilled plasterer by the time the artist Clarkos bought him, uh, purchased him, bought him in, in Charleston in 89. And over the next two decades, Reed learned a ton about a uh, and casting monumental bronzes more than anyone else in the United States, perhaps even including Mills. The federal government even read more than the white man who worked on, on the freedom stack project quote unquote paid is in quote because six days after reads wage uh six days oh because six days a week age went to meals on sundays reed was allowed to keep his own wage later when an act of congress forced meals to free uh, Reed Mills demanded the government pay him three times as much for Reed as for the other people he enslaved to compensate him for those of Reed's skills. Okay, so so the question is that so did Reed personally benefit from learning how to cast monsters? Save for those Sunday wages, it appears not. Patient who went back to plastering, working for himself until his death in. 1892 their record of him ever working again with bronze whether he wasn't allowed 
to or simply didn't want to is unknown. Okay. Uh, read the rest of this article here. It's a really good article. This is something I talked about uh, last week on this show last week. And there was this one rolling my filter. There were at least 262 skills trades and crafts. The name of this article, Note to Florida and DeSantis, enslaved Africans were already skilled. This is from uh, the Washington Post, okay? There were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts African people had in this country from, from 1619 to 1865, all right? A lot of these skills, trades, and crafts we brought with us. So when we look at, uh, if we look at this slide here that I, I showed you last week, these skills, trades, and crafts come from the book, The Other Slaves, um, by uh, James New and Ronald Lewis. The book came out in 1970. It's called The Other Slaves, Mechanics, Artisans, and Craftsmen. There were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that we had. A lot of these skills we brought with us from Africa, some, uh, some we learned here uh in this country and these are skills trades and crafts that we used to uh build this country all right okay so look we have to get out of here hopefully you learned a lot on today's show um and this is just a, a sample of the type of information that i deal with in my online history classes and one of the things that we do is show you the connection between history and historical events and laws and policies that are continuing to impact us today. A people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past and the present and the future to meet the needs of the community. And what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. And the reason why African history and culture is so important, as two of my teachers, Dr. Leonard Jeffries and Professor Jane Small, correctly teach us, African history and culture gives us our VIPs. It gives us our values, our interests, our principles. And this gives us a foundation, this influence, this gives us a cultural paradigm to see reality through. It, uh, our values, our interests, and our principles, African history and culture gives us our self-esteem, our self-development, our self-worth. This impacts our economic empowerment and how we engage in economics, like the cooperative system of cooperative economics, which are principles we brought with us from Africa as well. And this also impacts our political empowerment, how we engage in politics, and our understanding of politics. So we have to have a synthesis of all three of these, not just one of them, okay? All right, so be sure to register for uh, my uh, online history classes. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace.